Well, it's going to be my privilege over the next few weeks to speak with you on these two Sunday mornings. Be in prayer for Jonathan. He's a rather busy guy. He is in California completing doctoral work at Shepherd Seminary under John MacArthur. So um, those of you who've gone through graduate studies, Dr. Lowe back there in the back, you know exactly what he's going through. Oh, my. Well, Happy New Year. What I'd like to talk with you about over the next few weeks, the life that God blesses. You know, it's very clear. The life that pleases the Lord and fulfills His planned purpose for our lives. John chapter 6, if you'd turn there, we'll be reading that momentarily. This week we're talking about what that life looks like. Next week, we're going to be looking at how I live that life out. Beautiful thing is that God has for us this year a blessing. He wants this year to count for His glory and for your good. You know, we often uh, get used to years that come and years that go. Now that I'm getting a little bit older, a year doesn't seem quite as long as it used to. Can you relate to that? And you know, it, it, if we're not careful, a year just kind of goes and comes, and we get caught in this endless cycle. God is not into the endless cycle. He wants us to see that our lives are more linear, that it is leading toward a climactic moment when we go home to be with Him after having lived a life of faith. God's promising something special in our lives. And I know that sounds terribly narcissistic, what God's going to do for me this year. But we're going to see through the life that God blesses, it's not so much about you and me, it's about Him. Dr. Youssef references from time to time a verse out of 1 Corinthians where Paul is speaking to his friends in Corinth. And Paul uses an Old Testament verse out of the 64th chapter of Isaiah. The verse is this, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, at first glance, we, we tend to think that's a verse that, that's talking about the life to come. Not so. It is a life that addresses the here and now and the wisdom to discern that God has something special in our lives in the here and now. We live in interesting times, don't we, folks? Our current cultural moment is fraught with upheaval, fractions, conflict, division, and on and on it goes. 
And isn't it interesting, in the midst of the times in which we live, this current cultural moment where so many see darkness, I've just quoted you a verse out of the Scriptures that talks about how God has something special, very special, for those who know Him and love Him and desire consistently to make Him the living Lord of their lives. Is that you? So God has this plan, this cultural moment, the life that pleases Him. What does that look like? Well, I want to take you to a moment where a brother and sister, university students in Munich, Germany, the rise of the Third Reich is unfolding. Hitler is in control. Hans and Sophie Scholl, university students early on. I mean, we're, we're talking early 20s. And they were so solely committed to Christ that they know, knew to do so would uh, certainly bring great challenge to their lives. Little did they know it would cost them their lives because Hitler, after he learned that they were part of the resistance movement, ordered their execution. Before so, Hans penned some lines. It goes like this. Should one go off and build a little house with flowers outside the windows and a garden outside the door and extol and thank God and turn one's back on the world and its filth? Isn't seclusion a form of treachery, of desertion? I'm weak. I'm puny. But I want to do what's right. They meant that. And one asked the question, what is salvation for? Now, now we're talking about living the life that God blesses, and we're going to unpack that over the next few weeks. The life that, that God blesses. What is our salvation for? You know, a lot of times when we think about salvation, well, we, we naturally see ourselves benefiting and being on the receiving end of God's forgiveness, as we should. The commitment of His Holy Spirit to our lives, as we should. We, we consider God having done something very special for us, but is that all there is? to salvation. Once again, I pose the question, what is salvation for? You know, in the experience of salvation and conversion, now, now you go back on your own journey. Isn't it amazing how much change came to our lives 
once Christ came into our lives and changed us so that we are no longer thinking about ourselves, but more of Him and others. Sophie and Hans believed that God had called them to that particular moment in German history. Here's the question. How will we respond to our cultural moment? And some of us are wondering, how can I make a difference in this cultural moment? Enter John chapter 6. Have you got that there? John chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. It's a familiar story, but the impact of this story may rise a bit. John tells us, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing on the sick. So Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now, the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he knew himself what he was going to do. Now, you have to realize there are 5,000 people, men there, all told, as far as women and children, upwards of some 20,000. Did you get the picture? Philip is coming, and he sees all of these people. What would you be doing? Okay. Keep it alive. Verse 7. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Then Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled, filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who was to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, folks, in these 14 verses, It's everything we need to know 
about the life that pleases God. And we're going to, uh, we're going to use a little boy as our key player. So Andrew is a bringer, right? You know, he was the first one that met Christ. And soon thereafter, it was Andrew who brought Peter to the Lord. Andrew is a bringer. And so going through the crowd, Andrew comes upon a little boy. And he discovers this little boy has a lunch, five barley loaves and two small fish. And you got thousands of people. Now, a lot of us think, well, this was, uh, this was homemade bread, warm, smelling just wonderful. You know, commentators tell us it was the cheapest of all bread, almost like a cracker, very hard and very difficult to eat. Five barley loaves and two fish. And those weren't, uh, you know, your, your flounder, your, you know, you just think about your, your favorite fish. Not so. Tiny little fish. And so Andrew sees him and brings him to Christ. So Jesus sees this little boy. And a wonderful thing happens. This little boy gave his lunch to Christ. You know, he didn't bargain. Scripture doesn't tell us, well, Jesus, I'll give you one of my fish, and I'll give you two barley loaves. There is no bargaining whatsoever. Now, Renee and I have four young grandchildren. The oldest is 11. And I can tell you this, I think they would have a hard time if they're in the position of this little boy of giving their whole lunch away. Are you feeling this? But this little boy, for whatever reason, just gave his whole lunch to the Lord. The life that pleases the Lord is one where a life, your life, my life, we give Christ all of our lives, our intentions, our dreams, and we leave all of that at His feet to pursue His plan and His purpose for our lives. You know, it's an all-in kind of thing. And yes, we, we do live in a day and time where so often we come to moments almost like a little add-on Jesus. We want to fit him into our life's plan instead of being our life's plan. Make sense? So here's this little boy. He surrenders his lunch. His life is in the hands of Christ. Well, so... This little boy is willing to give his lunch to Christ. But do you notice 
and it's, it's inferred here, Jesus took all his lunch. Oh, Lord, I thought you loved us. He, he took all the boy's lunch. This little boy had something to give, and he gave it. And Jesus took it all. You know, there's something wonderful, folks, about um, the power of living life with open hands. You know, when you think about greed, it's almost like you have this visual picture of somebody just clasping something, be it money or some possession. It's like it's mine. But the life that pleases the Lord is the life of open hands. You know, a lot of times in life, as believers, we want to, um, to have a plan, and then we ask God to bless it. And I, I've used this in mentoring relationships over the years. You know, a sheet of paper written out. And then we lift it up to God and say, God bless this because I know it honors you and it's going to glorify your name. God is not into filled out pieces of paper. When we lift up the paper, it's blank. Christ fills it in and then we complete what his plan is, not our own. Here again, we're talking about the life that pleases God, solely given over to the Lord. So this little boy gave all his lunch to Christ, and Christ took it. Now what happens? Before the bread and the fish are multiplied, God blesses. And then he multiplies that lunch. Can you imagine what that little boy was thinking? I mean, he sacrificed. He gave everything he had to Christ. Christ took it. And now this little boy, you know he's close by. He starts seeing five barley loaves turn into a hundred barley loaves. And so it went and so on. Who do you think got more joy? and was impacted more deeply than anybody else of the thousands. I think it was that boy. I somehow think this, when he left that crowd after Christ finished teaching, he was reminding folks, you know, that was my lunch. <laughs> Do you like your lunch? I like my lunch. You see, when I tell you that God has something wonderful in store for you this year, that's not some motivational speaker talking. It is that when we live the life that pleases the Lord, God puts us into a position where he can do great and marvelous things through our lives for his glory. Is there an amen anywhere? So true, isn't it? And, and you just think about for the rest of this little boy's life, 
His little heart had to be so changed, and he saw Christ in such a fresh way that he followed. He, he gave all of his life to the Lord, the weeks, the months, and the years. Yeah, that's conjecture. But all I can tell you, if five barley loaves and two small fish can be multiplied hundreds and hundreds of times to, to feed upwards of 20,000 people, and Jesus said, make sure that you pick up all the fragments so that nothing is lost. Uh, that is powerful. And it speaks to us today as we are following God's call and God's plan on our lives. So, folks, as we, as we think about this story, don't forget about Andrew. You ever wonder what happened to Andrew? I do. Did he keep on bringing people to Christ? What, what happened to him? It, it tells us that shortly after the day of Pentecost, nothing else is said about Andrew. But he does come up in history. Andrew went north as far as modern-day Russia. He's a patron saint in Russia. He also went to Scotland. He is the patron saint in Scotland. And tradition has it that Andrew continued to bring people to Christ. Roman governor in Achaia, his wife listened to Andrew, and Andrew led her to Christ. And when the governor found out about this, he was so enraged that he demanded that his wife recant, and she would not. And so he turned his attention to Andrew. And as the story goes, he ordered him to be crucified on an X-shaped cross. Typical crucifixion, the individual was nailed to the cross, which shortened the length of suffering. The governor knew that quite well. And so what he chose to do by way of his order, he wanted Andrew to be tied to that cross, which would lengthen his time of suffering. We're told he was on that X-shaped cross for over two days. And as passers-by would come, I mean, they, 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 they couldn't disregard or turn a deaf ear and look the other way, I mean, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? As passers-by would come, you know what Andrew did? He shared Christ with them. That is a life that is all in for Christ. You know, there's, a, there's just something interesting here. The little boy gave it all. Christ took it. He blessed it. 
and he multiplied. Andrew gave his life to Christ. He fully committed everything to Christ. Christ took Andrew's life. God blessed Andrew's life. And God multiplied Andrew's influence for his glory. You know, there, there's a real transferable principle here. It's something for us to consider, a, a calling in front of you now. Will I choose to go deeper still in my relationship with Christ? So, naturally, we're, we're coming to a moment of, of commitment through taking the Lord's Supper. But before doing so, let's go back to Sophie and Hans. They were very close to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Theologian, one who was hung because of his faith and being part of the resistance movement in Germany. There, there was something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that really caught the attention of both Hans and Sophie. And it goes like this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, in terms of his theological vision for culture, we are Christians, and we are Germans. Therefore, we are responsible for Germany. Does that say anything? We are Christians, and we are Germans. Therefore, we are responsible for Germany. The life that pleases God is a life that is all in, a life where God is truly blessing purposefully. It is a life where you and me, as Christ followers, see. Could we not say, we are Christians. We are Americans. Therefore, we are responsible for America. Man, what a challenge. And I've been thinking on this for a couple weeks. You know, there's the reaction. Natural reaction on our part when we see culture coming at us. We can flee culture and take care of our own and avoid darkness. just simply avoid controversial issues. That is not God's desire for the one who is all in. So we start with the little boy, we, we go to Andrew, and then we return to Sophie and Hans. All in. You know, as we come to a moment of communion, it is time for us 
to think about. Okay. Mike, I appreciate the thoughts. I appreciate the reading from Scripture. Will this moment, communion, move you forward to where you come closer and closer to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said? I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Therefore, I am responsible for America. Scripture tells us that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks. And then he took the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat. And then he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do in remembrance of me. And then Christ issues a word of caution. The caution is this. Anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner brings judgment upon himself. This is a moment where we worship through the commitment of our lives. Those of you who've been part of Apostles, you know during this season that we are using the cup. The bread's on one side, flip it over, and then the wine. After I pray, I want you to feel, as you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to come forward, take a cup, return to your seat, and have a private moment of thanking God. And saying, Lord, I, by your spirit, I want to be all in, in my commitment, in my life. Let's pray together, and then we invite you to come to the table. Heavenly Father, thank you. Oh, thank you for Hans and Sophie and Andrew, this little boy. Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are a kind Savior, a caring Lord. Oh, Father, bless this time of worship as we commit and renew our commitment through taking the bread and the cup in Christ's name.